Thank you. If you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We are on our second to the last study through the book of 2 Corinthians. Chapter 12. I'm just enjoying looking at you. It's so nice to see you, every one of you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for what you've taught us uh, through your servant, the Apostle Paul. Thank you for um, his honesty at times uh, in his writing to the Corinthians. Thank you, Father, for how he responded to criticism and accusation. Thank you, Father, for his firmness and yet for his continued concern and love even for the people that had doubts about him. Father, we've learned so much from this letter. I pray that that would happen again today and that you would do what you need to do in lives. Uh, We commit this study to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, you found yourself preparing for a visit? you're, You're going to visit somebody. Now, it might be family. It might be someone else. But as you prepare for this visit, uh, uh, you're kind of worried, you're kind of anxious, maybe fearful, because you don't know what's going to happen in this visit. You have some concerns about the people that you're going to be visiting with. And you, you feel like when you get there with them and you begin to talk with them, if these concerns become reality, you, you feel like you're going to have to say something. You, you're going to have to have those difficult moments of maybe confronting something and and bringing something up. And you put a lot of prayer into that visit and uh, a lot of thought. And if you're like me, you even think about maybe postponing a little while, you know, because you know it could be difficult. Um, It could be hard. Well, today as we come uh, to the last part of chapter 12 and first part of 13 in 2 Corinthians, we find the Apostle Paul kind of having that experience. He is preparing to visit the Corinthians for the third time. And he's having some of those thoughts that I just uh, mentioned. And we're going to see... uh, what that thought process is like. There's a quote on your sheet by William Barclay. I want to read it to you before we get into this because it pertains to what Paul's going to say about the Corinthian church, but it pertains to any church. 
All right? So if you're from our church here, it pertains to us. If you're from another church back home, think about that church as I read what Barclay said. He says, the reality of a church is seen in changed lives. And if there be no changed lives, then the essential element of reality is missing. You might have to read that a few more times when you get home to think about that. But he's talking about what he sees as a real church. What is a real church? And what he's saying in this statement is that to him, it has to do with changed lives. That if there's reality in that church, you are also going to see changed lives. Uh, Probably you're going to see changed lives because of salvation. Because in that church, the gospel of Christ is presented and people are coming to Christ and their lives are being changed. Or maybe it's changed lives among the believers in the church because they are responding to the word of God as time goes on and they are growing and they are seeing change in their lives as Christians as they become more and more like Jesus. And what Barclay is saying is that is a real church. If you want to decide if a church is real, look for changed lives. If a church can go on for decades and you can't really point to many changed lives, then that's a red flag, according to Barclay. And I think that's what Paul has on his mind as he prepares for this third visit to the Corinthian church. He's wondering if he's going to see changed lives. He's wondering if these people have responded to God's truth or not. He doesn't know what he's going to find. And he's concerned about that. He wants to have an enjoyable visit. But maybe it won't be enjoyable. So that's what we're going to talk about. If you've been with us uh, for the entire series, you know that The first visit that Paul made to Corinth was um, described in Acts 18. So if if you want to kind of catch up on this, uh, not now, but, you know, later when you're sitting by the lake or in the boat, bring your Bible and and, uh, read Acts 18. It talks about the year and a half that Paul was in Corinth. And uh, God really worked during that year and a half, during his first visit. He shared the gospel. And uh, people came to know Jesus. People trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord. In fact, two synagogue rulers did, among many other people. That was the first visit. He left with a church that had started. The second visit was described for us here in 2 Corinthians, way back toward the beginning of the letter. And uh, Paul calls that second visit a painful visit. It was a very difficult visit. Because uh, there was a public sexual sin going on in the church. And uh, not only was this man committing this sin and actively involved in it, but the church was arrogantly tolerant. 
They were tolerating this sin, even though the pagans in Corinth wouldn't even tolerate that kind of sin. The Corinthians were prideful that they were tolerating it. And so Paul had to deal with that. And it got to the point where he made a second visit to deal with that issue. And it didn't go well. It didn't go well at all. And he called it a painful visit. And then, as you recall, uh, instead of going back there, because that visit didn't help, he sent them a letter. And we don't have record of that letter, but he called it a severe letter concerning this issue. And in the last weeks, we've kind of celebrated with Paul because he gets word back that they had responded to that severe letter. And there was repentance concerning that situation. Repentance on the part of the man, repentance on the part of the congregation. And uh, things were resolved in that area. But there were a lot of other issues in Corinth. And that's what Paul's wondering about now as he plans for his third visit. Have they done anything about those things? What am I going to find when I go back for the third time? So we're going to take this in three Parts, starting in verse 11 of chapter 12, and uh, I'll read the part of the passage, and then we'll just look at what's in there, and then the second one and the third one. So starting in Second uh, Corinthians 12, verse 11, Paul says, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles even though I am nothing. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. How were you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, Children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. Okay, so the first thing that Paul brings up here is that when he returns for this third visit to Corinth, he says, I'm not going to be a burden to you. You notice he mentioned that two or three times. He says, when I was there before, I wasn't a burden to you. And if you recall from Acts 18, that year and a half, he worked at tent making so that he didn't have to take any support from them. So that he didn't have to be a burden to them. And they should remember that. But they have allowed these uh, false teachers to put doubts in their minds that maybe Paul was exploiting us. Maybe he was using us somehow. Maybe he was all about what he could get out of us. 
And they should remember that wasn't true at all. And you'll notice he uses some facetiousness here and maybe even some sarcasm as he talks about these so-called super apostles that are coming after him and have caused all this stir and brought up the accusations and the criticisms. And basically he's saying, I'm going to come for the third time. I'm getting ready to come. And I'm not going to be a burden to you. I'm not coming to get. I'm coming to give. I wasn't a burden to you before. I didn't exploit you. When I sent Titus and others there to minister to you, they weren't a burden. They didn't exploit you. And that will continue. I will come and not be a burden. Because I just want to love you, care for you, expend myself for you. I'm about strengthening you. And you'll notice that little verse there where he likens himself to their parent. And they're the children. And he says, the children don't support the parent. The parent supports the children. I'm not going to come and expect you to support me. Now, he could. He had all the right in the world. In the first letter we have that he wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about that. He talks about how he had the right when he went to these churches to be supported by them. But he says, I waived that right in order to just present the gospel. So on this third visit, he, he could have asked them to support him, but he's not going to. Just like before, he says, I will not be a burden to you. So that's what he's talking about in that first part. Then we come to the second part, and it's just two verses. Verse 20. And this is the second time in the letter where Paul admits to a fear. Paul doesn't do that very often. At the beginning of chapter 11, you may recall, he admitted that he was afraid. He was afraid of what these false teachers might do to the Corinthians, that they might lead them astray. He was afraid of that. Here's the second time he admits to a fear. Verse 20. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. So the second thing Paul says to them as he's preparing he says, I want you to know I'm not going to be a burden to you. And second, he says, I'm afraid of what I might find when I come. I'm afraid of the situation I might find. And what's the situation? The situation is that they will still be involved in some of these sins that he lists and not have repented of them and, and changed. 
If you're familiar at all with uh, Paul's writings to the Corinthians, and those of you in the Virginia study, I hope this rang a bell. But these sins that he lists here, aren't they a lot of the same sins that he dealt with in 1 Corinthians? And he's saying, I'm afraid that I'm going to come, and you haven't done anything about those things. I'm afraid I'll come and I'll find those things still going on. Now, you resolve that one issue. But I'm afraid I'm going to come and all these other things you haven't done anything about. And he lists them. And it's quite a variety of sinful things. Quarreling, jealousy, factions, slander, disorder, arrogance, anger, gossip, sexual sin. Um, He's just afraid he's going to have to deal with that again. And he wants to have an enjoyable visit. He wants to have fellowship with the church that he cares about. But he has this fear. What will I find? And will it turn into another painful visit? Because I will have to bring that up. And I will have to confront you. And he says, you don't want that either. You know? I don't want to find you in a situation I don't want you to be in. And you don't want to find me having to deal with that sin. So that's his fear. That's his worry. That's his concern as he prepares for this third visit. What am I going to find? Have they repented? Have they changed? Is all good? Or is it going to be another painful visit? And he says, if I come and you're still involved in these things and you haven't repented and changed, it's going to do two things to Paul. You see that? First of all, it's going to humble me. It's going to humble me. And second, I'm going to grieve. It's going to call grief. Call me, cause me grief. <clears throat> And as I was looking at this and thinking about it, I, I think after 49 years of ministry, I can relate to Paul. Because, because there have been times in 49 years of ministry, whether it's been church, um, Bible camp ministry, youth ministry, any kind of ministry in all these years, I remember times when I have heard things about someone that I invested a lot of ministry in, or I've actually seen it with my own eyes, what's going on in their life after time, and it's not good. And I, I remember feeling humbled because I thought I had invested so much in their lives. I thought I had faithfully shared the word and at least on the outside, in those cases, it looked like they responded and good things were going to happen. And now I'm finding out it's not the case. And there's kind of a humbling thing there for a person who does ministry. Because you thought God would use you to bring about changed lives. And instead, they're right back to where they were. And that's kind of humbling. But it's also grievous. 
it causes grief. Because these people you pour your life into, you care about them. And when you find out they're not doing well and they haven't responded, there has been no change, you grieve. You grieve. Like you would your children. You know. And so I think I can identify with Paul. He's saying, if I come for this third visit and I find that you have not addressed these things, there's been no repentance and change, it's going to be very humbling for me. And it will cause me grief because I care about you. So, he says, when I come for the third visit, I'm not going to be a burden to you just like before. I'm not going to be a burden. I'll take care of myself. I don't ask anything of you. But secondly, I'm afraid of what I'll find. Hope it's not that. But I still have this fear that might be what I'll find. And then third, going to chapter 13, first four verses. He says, this will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time, that painful visit. I now repeat it while absent. On my return... I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him to serve you. What is Paul saying? He's saying, when I return... For the third visit. And I find, God forbid, I find that you're still involved in this whole list of sins and you haven't repented, you haven't changed, there's been no response. I guarantee I will be firm. I will be firm with you and address those things. He reminds them of you know, how they've been swayed to think maybe he isn't a credible apostle, that he doesn't have the skills to be an apostle. He reminds them, I will speak for the Lord. If I have to be firm and I have to address these things, if I find nothing has changed, I will be firm. And I will speak for the Lord. He will speak through me. And by his power, I will address these things he doesn't want to that's not the kind of visit he wants to have but he says I will be firm if I need to be and so that is how he describes his preparation for this third visit he says I'm coming I won't be a burden to you. I'm afraid of what I might find. That you would still be involved in these sinful things. No change. And if that's the case, I will be firm. I'm not going to jump to conclusions and, and accuse you of things without witnesses. Notice 
at the beginning of chapter 13. He says, we're going to follow what the law says. It's at the word of two or three witnesses. I'm not just going to come and accuse you and jump to conclusions. But if you haven't changed, I will be firm. And we will have (laughs) another painful visit. It's not what he wants. It's not really what they would want. But that's the visit that he's preparing for. So what's the implied message of that whole section that he's trying to get across? I think it's this. I think he's saying, I'm coming for a third visit. And I want you, if you haven't yet, to address those things that are going on. Address them. Repent. So that when I come... We don't have to deal with them. We can have fellowship. We can enjoy the visit because you've addressed these things ahead of time. I think that's the message here. Deal with those things so we can have a good visit, not another painful one. As far as application, to this passage. Maybe it's not one of the easier passages to apply uh, to us. And it might surprise you how I'm going to apply it. Because you might think, well, he's going to focus on Paul and, and uh, Paul's love for these people and his care for them despite what he might find. Um, maybe he'll apply something there. Maybe he'll apply something from Paul about you know, being firm when you need to be firm. Addressing things. Or, or maybe you might think, well, he's going to uh, apply this thing again about Paul and how he's dealing with the, the false teachers and their accusations and that type of thing. Uh, no, I'm not going to make an application from any of that. I want you to look at your sheet. This is the application I want to suggest today from this passage. It's a question. Is something going on in your life that might lead a fellow believer who cares about you to pay you an uncomfortable visit? Perhaps you should address whatever it is before it comes to that. That's the application this morning. I want to ask you that question. Could it be, and I don't know, could it be that something is going on in your life? Maybe it's something from the list that Paul gave related to the Corinthians. Maybe it's something not on that list. But there's something going on in your life that's not right. It involves sin, attitudes, uh, how you're dealing with a relationship, uh, practice, action. Could it be that there is someone, a fellow Christian, who has heard about this or seen it firsthand and they're concerned and out of their care and their love for you, they are actually right now, you don't know about it, but right now they're praying and they're asking God, do I need to go to my brother? 
Do I need to go to my sister and express my concern? And ask him or her to address this? There might be somebody praying that because of whatever it is that might be going on in your life. In Matthew 18, Jesus talks about how when someone sins against you, you go to them personally and you address it and hopefully resolve it. In Galatians 6.1, Paul says, If a brother or sister is caught up in a sin, you who are spiritual, go to them. Restore them. Help them. Address it with them. So the question is, could it be that something is going on in your life right now that is causing someone who really loves you to actually think about coming to you and expressing their concern and having a very uncomfortable discussion. Did you know you can prevent that from happening? You can prevent that conversation. You can prevent that visit. And it's very logical. You know how you can prevent that visit? Address whatever it is right now. Deal with it so that it doesn't have to be that visit. You know, most of us as Christians wouldn't, and maybe we've experienced it, feel comfortable if a brother or sister, even in a loving way, came to us and expressed a concern confronted something, challenged us to address something. I mean, who of us would feel comfortable about that? Even if they did it in a loving way. And a lot of times we get upset. We do. We get upset even if they do it in a loving way. You can avoid those visits. Just address whatever it is now. And then a concerned brother or sister won't have to make that visit. You won't have to have that conversation because you have on your own addressed it. Does that sound logical? That's what Paul hoped. He hoped that by the time he got there, the Corinthians had addressed their things, that they'd taken care of the stuff. So he could have a nice time of fellowship and love, enjoying their company. So that's my encouragement to you. That's the application. At the bottom of your sheet, you have a couple verses from Psalm 139. A prayer of David. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any sinful way in me 
In other words, I think he's saying, and let me know. And lead me in the way everlasting. God, search me. Search my heart. You know my heart. You know what's going on. Is there something going on? Is there some sinful way in me that needs to be addressed? Show it to me so I can address it. And then my brothers and sisters who care about me won't have to come and bring it up. You can prevent that by addressing it on your own before God as he shows you if there is something going on in your life. What we're going to do in response to that application is I'm going to give you a few minutes um, to, uh, to just sit there and pray that prayer of David. Lord, search me right now in this place, on this chair, on this day. Search me, God. You know my heart. And Father, if there's something going on in my life, if there's something that's not right, if there's something sinful that might be causing a brother or sister to be concerned, Father, I don't want to have a painful visit with someone. I want to have good fellowship. I want to have enjoyment and, and, uh, and love with my brothers and sisters. I don't want to put a brother or sister through that, preparing for a visit like that. Father, show me what needs to be done in my life. And I'll address it. I'll take care of it. So I want you to have that conversation with God in the next few minutes. And uh, there'll be a song playing, and then when that's done, the worship team will come back and and lead us in some closing uh, singing. But let's just spend some time. Pray this prayer. God, search me. If there's something, God, that I need to deal with, so that brothers and sisters don't have to have that difficult, uncomfortable visit with me. God, I will deal with it. I will deal with it today, or I will commit to dealing with it promptly. Let's spend that time.